As we start this morning, I'd like to uh, ask you to think with, the, with me for a moment and try to, try to identify in your mind the one thing that you have most difficulty trusting God for. What, what's the one thing that you have difficulty trusting God for? It may be a situation that you don't think possibly could ever change or be different. It may be uh, a situation where you don't think it will ever be possible for you to recover or to be healed from. It may be uh, an issue of unforgiveness. You, you could never be forgiven or you could never forgive in a situation. I, I don't know what I don't know what that situation might be, but I would, I would encourage you to identify it. Now, there may be one or two, and you have two that you have to keep before you, but I would, I would encourage you to uh, identify that and, and to be thinking about that this morning and place that in the context, context of the scriptures uh, that we're going to read today. This is Isaiah 40 starting with the first verse. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I don't know a great deal about the times in which Isaiah lived. I do know that I could not have survived them very easily. Isaiah lived in a time of political unrest. You say, eh, so do we. However, the likelihood of the Canadian armed forces storming across our northern border to burn our towns and cities is not very great. Tanks are not rolling into Vermont at the present time. There isn't pitched warfare at the northern border of Massachusetts. Um, and although for us times are difficult in some ways, we are pretty secure, comparatively speaking, to the days of Isaiah. So when you listen to the words of Isaiah, you have to place them in the context of his times. Imagine hearing this message, these words, if we were living with the memory of the complete destruction of our society, if the troops didn't stop at the Massachusetts border, but they rolled right over us. The words, the words of Isaiah 
come in a time of complete chaos and terror for Israel. It isn't just that the supply chain has been disrupted. Their existence as a nation has been wiped out. Their crops have been burned. Their homes have been destroyed. Many have been deported, families divided by exile. We think we know something about post-traumatic stress disorders, but this is PTSD from a different perspective at a whole different level of magnitude. I remember back in 1991 watching the launch of the first Iraqi war. I mean, I was sitting in a living room on a couch watching missiles being fired into Baghdad. It was the most unusual thing I had ever seen or experienced. We were terrified about what the consequences of that action might be. But I can guarantee you that we, watching this scene unfold from the comfort of our living rooms, were no way near as terrified as the citizens of Baghdad. You can only understand the terror that Israel is feeling if you can place yourself in the shoes of the citizens of Baghdad on that day. It's the only way you can get to understanding any of the scripture at all. Because for Israel, at this point, the war is over. Israel has lost. And those who are still alive are living with the memory of the terror and all that has been lost. And they're trying to piece together lives in a new country, separated from their heritage, separated from their identity, separated from their families. It's a huge, worse than a train wreck. And now here, on the bad side of the disaster, Isaiah speaks these words. Prepare yourself. Something good is going to happen. If you don't prepare yourself, you might miss it. Pay attention. What will happen? Well, what is about to happen will happen in the sight of everyone, but you should still prepare yourself for what is going to happen. And what is going to happen is this. God is going to reveal himself. Have hope. Things are about to change. God is going to step onto the stage in a way that is unmistakable. You may be thinking to yourself, if God is going to step on the stage now, why did he do it back then? And it's a fair question. I mean, why, why step onto the stage now? I mean, three years ago, 10 years ago, would have been a better time for God to step on the stage. Why didn't he act to keep the Assyrians from conquering the northern kingdom? Why didn't he act to keep the Babylonians from destroying the southern kingdom? And though we can't completely understand all of that, I think it is helpful to remember that God was active in those days. How many prophets warned Israel to turn from their wicked ways? How many prophets told Israel to rely on God and to trust him with no effect? How long must God support a people who continually say to him, 
You know, we'd really rather do this on our own way, on our own, without any thought of you or of your law. I mean, how long does God let us walk into paths that we determine that he knows will lead to our destruction without allowing us to face the consequences of our poor choices? Because I think that's what this is. I think this exile is God allowing us to face the consequences of our poor choices because we refuse to rely on him. And now the chickens have come home to roost, the nation is destroyed, the people are scattered, hope is lost, darkness abounds. But fortunately, then and now, judgment is not the last word. Judgment is not the last word. God inspires Isaiah to announce comfort to his people yet again. There's another opportunity. There's a chance for restoration. Something else is happening. You heard the first verses of the prophecy. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, Jerusalem. She's going to receive blessing from the Lord again. What does Isaiah say essentially? The glory of God is going to leak out through you once again. There is hope. God is going to act once more. For those in Israel who might have been listening before the invasion took place, you might remember the words of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 33:10. This is what the Lord says. You say about this place, Israel, it is a desolate waste without people or animals, yet in the towns of Judah and the street of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Verse 14, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And remember, this is Jeremiah before the decimation happens, right? Jeremiah says the, def the decimation is inevitable at this point. But even before all is lost, Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. And so what does God instruct Jeremiah to do? Do you remember? He goes out and buys property. Right? Even though the invading army is advancing, even though everybody in Israel knows this property deed is going to be worse, worthless in about three days, he's out buying property. Why? Because God has promised a hope for the future. He's spoken it into existence already. There will come a day when this, is, when this land is gonna be restored, when it's gonna be redeemed, when things are gonna be different again. And, I, and Jeremiah, based on the prophecy, is getting into real estate. Turns out it was a good investment. I'm hopeful when you hear the word of the Lord, 
you recognize that no matter how bleak things look at this moment, there is always hope in God. That's his nature. I mean, is Isaiah in this 40th chapter reminds us that there's always a future in the kingdom of God. God will restore the fortunes of Israel. They will return to their homeland. They will rebuild the temple. They will rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. God will be worshiped in Jerusalem streets again. And you think, having gone through this whole ordeal that the lesson would be learned? Well, not quite yet. But Isaiah looks past even the repetition of the cycle and describes for us the ultimate display of the glory of God. In fact, it gets very specific. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God spoke it, it will happen. These words are not unfamiliar to you. You hear the echo of these words from John the Baptist, in the opening chapters of the gospel. He is the voice reminding us to pay attention. He is the voice telling us that the ultimate expression of the glory of God will appear in Jesus our Christ. And in Jesus, the glory of God leaks out again. The people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is our hope, even on our darkest days. And no matter how dark the days get, Jesus will always be our hope. And I wonder, in these times, if any of you have lost hope. Are there situations too dark, too difficult for you to handle? Are you feeling threatened and overwhelmed? It is true that God doesn't always erase the consequences of our poor or sinful choices. But he is always looking for what can be redeemed. He is always looking for what can be restored. He desires to walk with each of us in his light in this new day. And if we will choose to walk with him, to trust him, we can anchor our hope in him and in his character. We can believe that he is working to restore and redeem if we will walk with him, if we will embrace his values and his life, if we will step into the kingdom of God. I love these verses from Isaiah 40 in the second verse, in the 27th verse, excuse me. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you hear the complaint? Israel, they're saying, he doesn't see us. He doesn't know us. He can't know what we're experiencing. Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He sees our way. He knows our thoughts. He's working to restore and redeem. And I'm wondering what thing it is of yours that perhaps you've lost hope can be changed or can be different or can be resolved. I'm wondering what that thing is. And I guess this morning what I'd like to challenge you to do is to make that thing your Advent prayer project. To pray every day, Lord, in this situation, would you work to redeem, to restore, to repair that which has been lost? Every day, bring that to the Lord. And affirm that he is able to do something about it. I don't know what he might do. I don't know what your situation is. But he is the active everlasting God whose arm is not too short to save and by his character is love. There's an old song that we used to sing in the days leading up to Advent and sometimes in Lent as well. It reminds me of the truth of these passages. These are the words. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. I'm hoping that this Advent, you can fix in your mind the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. He is our light. He comes to bring light. He comes to help us walk in the light. And as we seek to do that, as we honestly seek to do that, he's our hope of success. He's our hope of success. If you're thinking that you can just walk on your own, walk your way out of depression, walk your way out of destruction, walk your way out of despair, it's a hard task. But if you will anchor your hope in Jesus, if you will trust that he is the light of the world, that he does make our paths plain, that he can raise the valleys and lower the mountains so that we can walk on level ground together, if you will trust him, well, what's the words of the promise? He doesn't grow weary. His understanding no one can fathom. But he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. And you know how it continues, right? Even youths grow weary, but those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. They mount up with wings as eagles. They run and they do not faint. This Advent season, anchor your hope in Jesus. Walk in his light. Sing with me in closing.
O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord, for he alone is worthy. 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 Christ the Lord. I guess for 11 seasons now, we've been in a bargain together regarding Advent, right? Because people have different traditions regarding Advent. And for some of us, the first Sunday of Advent is the Sunday you start singing Christmas carols. And for others of us, you start singing Christmas carols four weeks later in the season of Christmas. And the first four weeks are the season of Advent. And so we have a compromise here at MCN, which is we do two weeks of Advent, and then we start singing the Christmas carols on the third week of Advent and sing past Christmas. So don't expect Christmas carols yet next Sunday, okay? Unless you're listening to the radio, which is another situation altogether. We take a step out of Advent for our Advent banquet, which the logic of which I don't understand, but this is the compromise. And we will sing Christmas carols at the banquet. And so I hope that uh, you'll join us on Saturday night uh, just for a time of celebration and re relaxation. Uh, it feels to me like we need to be together. And I think that's part of what it means to walk through this season together. I think it's significant that we read together, too. This gives us a common dialogue and a common conversation through the season. So I encourage you uh, to step into Advent, to embrace these days, and to consider what it means to walk in the light of the world, that is Jesus Christ. And now may the light of Christ shine on you. May you walk in his presence, and may his presence anchor your hope now and always. Amen.